Well, last week I shared with you the vision of Redeemer City Church. And so if you missed that, uh, let me encourage you to get on YouTube and watch that because it really sets the, the table for the things that we're doing moving forward. And the vision boiled down to a simple statement that was Jesus' vision. And because of that is the vision of Redeemer City Church is this, that we exist. Redeemer City Church, which is not a place but a people, exists to share and spread the liberating power of the gospel. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, that he had come to this earth to set people free, to release people from captivity. And so that's our vision because it's his vision. And so we say that we express that in three different ways. We love God. It's vision up first before it's anything else. Hebrews says we fix our eyes on Jesus because he both begins and completes your faith, your salvation. And so we look up and then it's vision in, right? We get to experience, we get to share in that good news that Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 4. Remember he said, because what we're proclaiming is the year of the Lord's favor. That there's satisfaction, that there's peace in Christ. And so we love God, we share good news. And, and once we've looked to Jesus, once we've uh, done adoration, once we've lived in that place of communing with our God, and then he comes in and good news begins to take place and we share in that and transformation takes place, then we look out with Jesus and we serve our city. And so it's very simple because it's exactly what Jesus set out for us to do. Very simple, up in out, right? And so that's what we talked about last week. And, and here's the reason that's so important. That that is always the focal point, the centerpiece of what we're doing. The, the reason is this. Proverbs 29, 18, it'll be on the screen for you, says this, where there is no prophetic vision, right? Not just whatever I feel like, not just a really good idea. Those are called nonprofits and they're great and we support some of them and you do too probably. Those are awesome and we are, we are pro nonprofit here. But there's a thing that separates the vision of a good, helpful nonprofit and the church of Jesus Christ. It says where there's no prophetic vision, if, if God's not the center, if Jesus is not the vision, we don't have a prophetic vision, right? So where there's no prophetic vision, the people, you and I, <laughs> we cast off restraint, don't we? The book of Judges is all about, it, said, it literally says this, that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And how do you think that went? Good or bad? This is class participation. It went bad, right? And so that's important because here's the second half of that, right? In Proverbs 29, 18. Blessed is the one who keeps the law. When Jesus is the vision and his word is the direction 
There's a blessing attached to that. That doesn't mean you'll be rich. It doesn't mean life will be easy. In fact, often in our Bible, it's the opposite. But there is a spiritual blessing that comes from walking in the ways of Jesus. And so we talked about that last week. So I want you to get on and listen to that on the podcast or watch it on YouTube if you missed it. Because that's important for what I want to talk about today and then what I want to talk about next week. Today, I want to look with you at a local church, a real local church that we can go to the Middle East and see the remains of physically, the buildings, the place. It was a, a real church at a real point in history that had real people who were gathering much like we do even now. And... When we look at that church, it's going to seem like they had it all together. And I'll show you that in a minute. But it's, well, it'll seem like that, but there was a vital piece of that life of the church that was missing. And it's important because as a church family, we can have a whole lot of things right. But if we don't have the main thing right, we can be wrong. And so I want to look at that with you because coming out of a vision talk last week where we are saying this is the flag and the ground for us. This is the direction in which we do everything. We want to be sure that we don't go to this place where we have everything right and yet be wrong. If I was going to give you a title for this sermon, I would give it to you this way, where churches go to die. And it's not what you're thinking. It's not what you're thinking because it doesn't have really anything to do with how many people come. It doesn't have anything to do with a lot of the external factors that you and I pay attention to. And so I want to I look at that with you. But in Revelation chapter 2, if you have a Bible and you want to meet me there, you can go to Revelation chapter 2. Don't get too scared. This isn't an apocalyptic sermon. We might do that someday. But that's not today. All right. Revelation chapter two. But what's happening here is the Lord is going to through John, the apostles pen and through a vision that he gives. John is going to give seven messages, seven sermons, seven letters to seven different churches in what is modern day today, Turkey. It's called Asia Minor back then. And these are again, these are actual churches in actual towns. In our world, and we still know where they are today. But what's important, and the reason that it's lived on for thousands of years in the Word of God, and has been changing lives ever since, is because there are churches like these seven churches all the time. And what makes these so important is because they bring this prophetic vision that we're talking about. That there are very important things that Jesus wants to say to his church. And as the end of it, which we'll get to, says, Jesus literally says to you and I, let anyone who has ears to hear. You ought to hear. Right? How many of you know the difference? There, that there's a difference between hearing and listening. <laughs> right? You can hear all kinds of stuff. 
But that's what Jesus is saying. If you have ears to hear, you ought to actually hear. You need to listen. (laughs) You need to internalize what I'm saying to you. And so that's the place that we are. And, And it's important even for us because Asia Minor in that day was very pagan. It's a lot like the world you and I live in. These seven churches faced tribulation. They faced persecution. They faced an oppressing worldliness. Just a complete departure from the ways of Jesus. They faced inside the church false teachers, false doctrine, compromise, indifference. We struggle with that, don't we, in the church in the United States of America? Just indifference to the things of God because there's so much competing for our attention and our love. It's constant. And so the question that arises for churches like ours as we look at churches in history that have experienced this is what keeps a church flourishing? What keeps the life and beauty of the gospel, the, 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 the Jesus as Lord, as Savior, as Redeemer, as King, and cultivating His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, what, are, what is the thing that keeps a church flourishing like that? Because that's what we want. We don't want to just gather for no reason. What keeps a church flourishing? So this first letter is being delivered to a church in a place called Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus is spiritually strong. The church at Ephesus was founded by literally the best possible leaders. Like outside of Jesus, if you were going to pick people who were going to start your church, you'd have picked this team. Just think about it. If if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you could write these names down and go find them in the Bible. And you'll see that this is like this is the all star team of church planting. Okay. So it was likely founded by a a husband and wife team called Aquila and Priscilla, who in Acts 18 were left there by the Apostle Paul himself. So the Apostle Paul plants the church and he's working with Aquila and Priscilla. I mean, if you were going to get trained by somebody, (laughs) I want the guy who got knocked off his horse by God, the glory of God, literally, physically and spiritually changed Paul's life. In an instant. Like, I'll take that guy's opinion. <laughs> right? So Aquila and Priscilla are, are trained by Paul, left there. And they're the, they're the folks that got the church off the ground and going. Pretty good. But then later in Acts 18, we learn about another man that came and influenced that church named Apollos. And there's one point in the New Testament where people aren't sure if they should follow Paul or Apollos because they're both Awesome. And both Paul and Apollos are like, you can just follow Jesus. That'd be perfect. Right. And so another all star. And so Paul trained and retrained pastors there, according to Acts 20. One of those guys was named Timothy. And there are two books of the Bible written to Timothy. That guys like me who are pastors of churches go back and we read again and again and again to be reminded of things that we're supposed to be about. And so here's Timothy now pastoring the church at Ephesus. And then Timothy had an understudy, a faithful pastor named Tychicus. It's a great name, by the way, if you're having a baby. And Tychicus pastored there. And then finally, as if it couldn't get any better, the apostle John himself pastors this church. 
Aquila, Priscilla, Paulus, Paul, Timothy, Tychicus, John. What an amazing start. Heavyweights in the New Testament, right? I mean, it, doesn't, it literally can't get better than that unless Jesus was going to come pastor it himself. And in Revelation chapter 2, that much is acknowledged. Look at the screen with me or look in your Bible. At Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is being spoken to John and, and he's being told what to write. And here's what God says. He says, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, God. (laughs) Nobody else can claim that. This is Jesus speaking to his church. This is where we sit up. We kind of straighten up and we pay attention because God's speaking to us. He says this in verse two. I know your works. I know your labor, I know your endurance, and that you have that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Look at verse 3. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. And let's just stop there for a second. They had it all. Things were great. And yet they weren't. Say how? I mean, if God was going to describe Redeemer City Church, I mean, I'd want that. I'd want verse two and three, wouldn't you? Man, you're faithful. You're plowing through opposition. You have the truth on lockdown. You've, you've had the best training possible. They had all of the right activity. They had everything right activity-wise. They had the truth, but something very important was missing. Because here in verse 4, it takes a turn that no church wants. For the Lord to look at us and say this in verse 4, but I have this against you. It's a dire warning, isn't it? You, you have all of the activity right. But I have one thing against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have everything right. But you've abandoned the love that you had at first. I offered you a free book last week, and that offer stands uh, that one of our friends wrote, Zach. And in that book, in the foreword, uh, the person who wrote the foreword used this phrase, and Zach has used this phrase, and it has just been burned in me because it's true of the church, right? It's this statement, we get it, but we don't have it. We get it. We, we, could, we could give you all the right answers, but inside we don't have it. And there's a difference. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart. Love. Where do churches go to die? This is where. 
having all of the activity. Listen to me if you get nothing else out of the sermon today. This is where churches go to die and churches are full of people. This is where we go to die that we would have all of the activity and none of the Lord. That we would have all of the activity and none of the Lord. That we would have all of the truth on lock and yet missing the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be missing the Holy Spirit and the results are devastating. It's the place that we found ourselves in in the Sermon on the Mount this past summer where Jesus would look at his at these people that would come into his throne room of grace, Hebrews describes, and they would list all the accomplishments that they had done, including things like cast out demons. I don't know if you've cast out any demons this week, but I haven't. That's better activity than I'm bringing to the table. And yet, he would look at them in Matthew chapter 7 and say, I don't know you. I don't know you. And so, this exemplary church, Ephesus, had abandoned their first love. Look at verse 5. Here's what Scripture says. It says, remember then how far you have fallen. Remember then how far you have fallen. It's important for us to know... That if you miss the first love, the most important love, it doesn't matter what else you get right, you've fallen far. You've fallen far. Look, look, like what is the first love then, right? <laughs> if they've abandoned the love they had at first, what is the first love? It goes back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38 says this, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And listen to what Jesus says here. This is the greatest and most important command. Why? Because the first affects the rest. The first, the most important, blesses all the rest. And without Jesus, without vision up, without loving God, without falling in love with God... And adoring who he is and truly knowing that God is awesome and that he loves you, none of the rest will come. None of the rest will come because the greatest is the first. Vision up comes before everything else. So this church in Ephesus had everything right and yet they were wrong. They had abandoned their heartfelt love for Jesus. And that's not something that gets manufactured, by the way. That's not something that you just tomorrow, I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix that. You can't fake that. You, you don't fake a love for somebody. You can for a while. You can fool us, but you can't fool the Lord Jesus Christ. Without adoration, this is all just cold religion. Without a relationship, it's just work. It's just good non-profit. It makes a difference here and now, but it doesn't last for eternity. This is the difference. And so, as, as that is leveled against the church in Ephesus, I want to bring you hope today that Ephesus was not down and out. The Spirit 
is going to bring three things for this church that if they'll be reminded of and they'll take part in, that God won't remove that light. And so here they are in verse 5 through 7. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there's hope. There's hope. Then then the Holy Spirit says this, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And I love this piece. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is a fascinating thing because after all of that, they're told three things here. Remember, repent, return. Remember how far you've fallen from your first love. Remember that because if we can't remember that, we have a big problem. And it is far. The Christian life is not primarily about what we can do for Jesus, but what he has done for us. We, we, we have to remember that and then repent. We have to literally stop, turn around and go back to what we did at first. The works you did at first, John is told by the Lord. Come and see all that Jesus has done. He is great. He is awesome. The works I'm doing aren't even on my mind because Jesus is on my mind. My eyes are fixed on him. I'm experiencing good news and therefore sharing good news. Not because it's what I do, but because it's who I am. It's who I am. And then we return. I love that scripture there. It says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says. What are we returning to? It's an important question, right? What are we returning to? Look at the end of verse 7. The one who conquers, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What a strange drop in here after it's like, you guys got it all right, and yet you're wrong. (laughs) Now conquer. (laughs) That's how we normally read that, right? But that's not what is being said here, because here's the reality And this is what I love about the word of God, because you're given this this thing to do to the one who conquers. But what's the problem with that? How are you doing in 2020 at conquering life? We're not. We're not good at all at conquering life. (laughs) Right? So when you hear that, there, there's first a word of law towards you from God that you are arrested at the fact that this is a problem. I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't conquer. I can't conquer my own life, let alone enough to get myself in a right place with God. So what's that all about? It says return to what you had at first, right? Return to what you had at first. We're returning, according to verse 7, to the tree of life in the paradise of God. 
the tree of life. Think about that with me. What did Jesus say to these people? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said in John's Gospel, same human author, he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. So where does our life come from? It comes from Jesus. It's reminiscent of the very beginning at creation where our story as humans begins. Where Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life and are nourished and it's beautiful and they're in the garden with God And yet, like each of us, this is our story, isn't it? Like each of us, they stumble into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they want and we want to be our own God. And this is the cosmic struggle. This is what you and I struggle with every day of our life. That we have Jesus, but we want to be our own. So isn't it interesting that what the Spirit says to the churches here is that this right, this blessing, is for the one who conquers, and therein lies our problem. That we don't conquer. We can't conquer. And so, God's office is at the end of your rope. God's office is at the end of your rope, where all you can do from the bottom is what? Look up. Where all you can do is look up, vision up, look to Jesus. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. How do you conquer? Right here. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? Say it. Victory. The victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so here's the deal. I'm going to have the worship team come back up and, and we're going to sing that song again where, where we, we say again Do it again, right? Because it's not just a song lyric, it's a prayer. Because what what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus is, you have to return back to the very first thing I did in your life. And, And frankly, Redeemer City Church, we need that. We must return back to the thing that Jesus did at first. We have to remember what it was like to be adopted into the family of God. To be rescued from ourselves. And repent. To stop just doing the things you're doing because you think you're supposed to do them. But instead, turn your vision up and fall in love with Jesus again. Because if you'll do that, everything else will come. That's why he says, you've got all the things right, but you don't have it. You get it, but you don't have it. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in the room right now, if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, I wonder if he's not asking you today to surrender To bow the knee to him that he might be Lord of your life. That sounds scary, but nothing could bring more life to you than that decision. If he's drawing you to himself, don't waste another second. Joyfully fall on your knees at the feet of Jesus.
there's life there. Life to the full, as Jesus called. Jesus offers what he said as he walked around on this earth, that you can have complete joy. But you're going to have to let go of the reins of your life and let him lead you by streams of living water, green pastures, through, remember, the valley of the shadow of death. 2020 is still here. It's still happening. (laughs) But there is, as the Bible calls it, a shoot, a plant, green, coming up in the midst of death. Because Jesus is alive and he's building his church.